0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpres.evanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 6 verses 1 through 15, which you'll find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 92 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today amen. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem for a festival. John 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples Now Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: So Darren, I wanna thank you for sharing your, your story, your journey with us. And I love hearing the stories of our congregation because they illustrate that God is on the move God is not dead, he is surely alive. And it's your stories that help us to remember that. And thank you for sharing that. So on, on Wednesday, many of you know that my, my mother, my, my role model, one of the more courageous women that I've known, uh, died. She was 96 years old and uh, I've had a lot of time even before my mom died, to reflect on her life. And one of the ways I would describe her life is that she was purpose-driven in all that she did. And I also, on behalf of our family, really, I want to thank our congregation. So many of you have reached out to us by email and texts and phone calls and cards, and you're, you're just sending all these messages to remind us that you're with us in our valley of grief and I and I want to thank you for that those words mean so much to us I want you to know that my my mother what I love about her is that she she lived close to Jesus and uh, prayer and her desire to submit to God's Word was so important for her and I think that's the reason why she lived so close to Jesus that she found that her life was really a life on mission for Jesus. And when I say that, I want you all to take a deep breath. She didn't travel to some distant country in the world. She wouldn't have even called herself a missionary, but she did travel to work every day. That woman was a hard-working woman. She traveled to her church, among her friends and family and strangers, and. One of the questions she often liked to ask people when she would meet them is, do you know Jesus? And it wasn't designed to embarrass the person, but I always felt awkward when I was around her. And she doesn't even know the person, and that's sort of like, I would wanna know, did you see the game last night? She would say, do you know Jesus? And yes, I also know one of the reasons why it was because I didn't necessarily have the same concern for lost people like she did back in those years when we were together. But one of the things I know about my mom is that she always found a way to minister to people's physical and spiritual needs. And while we were in Middletown, New York, we started getting messages from people. People from England, from Canada, there's a a family that's traveling from Canada to be at the service on Friday. People from the United States, of course, and from Jamaica, reaching out to us and telling us stories, stories we didn't even know about of how this mission-focused woman ministered to them and helped them. And this morning, as much as my heart is heavy, I'm also giving glory to God for this, this woman who, you know, in Jamaica, we have a saying that says, she's little, but shitalawa. she's little, but shitalawa. she's little, but she's powerful. She's mighty in the Lord. Her life was a mission-driven life. And it's a, it's a wonderful segue for me as I've been out in New York thinking about the text that I would share with you this morning, where Jesus, I think, is the epitome, he's the perfect example of a mission-driven life. And you'll remember when we were reading from John chapter 4, I hope you remember, and you must nod and say, Pastor, I remember every sermon you preach. (laughs) So I know you remember from John chapter 4 when I quoted that passage where Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. And he meant every word of that. And in our text, I see Jesus extending his mission, at least as I read the text, to at least three categories of people. He was extending his mission to the crowds, of course. He was extending his mission to the disciples, and he was extending his mission to you, to me. Let's just look, first of all, though, how he extended his mission to the crowds. And what I did, I went all the way back to the, I went all the way to the end of John 20 to pick this up, where Jesus said, but these are written so that, you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God and that through believing that's what I heard Darren saying through believing you may have life in his name that was his mission that people may come to believe may people may come to know that he is the Messiah And so it's not surprising when you heard the text being read by Dane in John 6, 2, where it says, a large crowd kept following him. Why? Because they saw the signs. And John is all about signs, all through. This is the fourth sign that Jesus is doing. The first one he did was turn water to wine. This is sign number four. He wants people to know that the Messiah is here. He wants people to believe that he's the Son of God and that by believing they may have life. It says that they kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And when people's needs are being met, of course, they will always come back to the source for more. You know, you may not know this, but for almost 40-plus years, maybe it's even more than that, Carol Weinberg, that this church has extended a ministry to the homeless, whether through the warming center or whether through Super Saturday. And what happened The people keep coming back. Saturday, I was here on Saturday. We're not taking people into the building anymore right right now. But they were right out at the entrance to our door. They keep coming because they know there's a source here. There's help. This is why they were following Jesus. But here's what you need to know. We didn't read the whole chapter of John 6 because a lot of John's discourses are so long But John shows us that the motives of the people weren't pure. And Jesus confronted them. And he says to them, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he warns them, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. So yes, Jesus is providing food to the people, but he's also warning them that there's something much more important than food. There's a spiritual and emotional hunger that food cannot fill. And so what I see the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is doing for us this morning, yes, it is showing the compassion of Jesus and his willingness to meet practical spiritual needs, physical needs, But also, Jesus is in the business of meeting the deepest hungers, the spiritual needs. So he extends his mission to the people. But I also see him extending his mission to the disciples. He had a clear mission. He had a clear purpose for his disciples. And you'll notice in the text that Jesus tested their faith. He pressure-tested their faith by putting them into some uncomfortable situations. You know, a few weeks ago, I said to many of you, and I know you remember this, right? That the most effective way to grow your faith, to expand your heart and your love and your obedience for Jesus, is to leave the sidelines, leave the comfortable pews, leave the beautiful four walls of this church, and engage in the work that Jesus did out there. And you're going to see your faith grow. So what did Jesus do to his disciples? He tested them. John 6 and verse 5 He says, where, the word there could be translated, where or how are we to buy bread for all these people? Jesus looked up and saw the crowds and he turned to the disciples and he asked them the question, where or how are we to buy bread to feed these people? And he said this to test them because he knew what he was going to do. Someone wrote that faith is such a, a vital matter to the children of God, that it must be put to the test. Your faith is going to be tested. And it's gonna be tested, number one, to prove that it's genuine, but it's gonna be tested, secondly, to purge it and to strengthen it. So first, your faith is and will be tested. So Philip, Philip, how are we gonna feed all these people? Philip says, he looks at the 5,000 plus people, And he's immediately overwhelmed. Immediately, he says, forget it, Lord. Even if we had six months' wages, it would not be enough to buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Andrew, Peter's brother, looks out in the crowd, saw this little boy with a uh, a meal pack, five barley loaves, two fish, dried fish at that. But even then, he's overwhelmed by the size of the crowd, when he compares the boy's food to the size of the crowd, and he says to Jesus, but what are they? And he's referring to the fish and the bread. What are they among so many people? The boy's meal pack wouldn't even make a small dent. It's a faucet drip. It's a faucet drip in the mighty Lake Michigan. But Jesus was pressure testing their faith because he knew there was room to grow. But let's not be too hard on Philip and Andrew because my response and your response is no different from theirs. A bill comes in the mail and it's bigger than what's in your bank account. And what do you do? You have a problem in your home, perhaps with your children or with your spouse or with your roommate. What do you do? There's a problem with somebody at work. Do you throw your hands up in despair and leave? What do you do? And what the Lord wanted to teach Peter and, 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 and James, I'm sorry, Andrew and, and, um, and Philip, what the Lord wanted to teach them and the other disciples is that when you are overwhelmed, that's a time to turn to the Lord because the Lord always knows what to do. Friends, we learn a great deal about walking with the Lord when we learn to take our difficulties and like Hezekiah, spread them before the Lord and say, Lord, what, what, what are we going to do? Because you see, I believe that Jesus is a problem solver. Yes, Fred, thank you. I believe that Jesus is a great fixer. I believe that Jesus is never overwhelmed by our problems. He's never flummoxed by the situations that challenge and intimidate us. I believe this morning that Jesus is never paralyzed by the moment. And what does Jesus do? The, the men are paralyzed, Jesus takes a boy's gift. And then Jesus, we're told, gave thanks. I grew up in a home, and maybe you did too, where before you could touch the meal, your mom or your dad would say, let's give thanks. I hope you're doing that. Not just with the meal, but I hope that you are looking at what God has put within your hands, small as it might be, and you're saying, Lord, thank you. You're giving thanks. And when he had given thanks, he then gave it to the disciples. And the disciples gave it to the people who were seated. And they could eat as much as they wanted. What a lesson. What a lesson in God's sovereign, gracious provision for these timid, hesitant disciples who were now given the honor given the honor of bringing this blessed meal group after group to people sitting on the hillside. That was a day they would never forget that Jesus is always enough and more. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus then commands them to gather up what had been eaten so that nothing can be and would be lost. You know, God, the creator, doesn't want us to squander his creation. I said to Judith, well, maybe God, Jesus told him to gather it up and then gave each group maybe a little care package to travel with them. But you see, friends, I want, I want, you, I want you to let faith... Just, just enlarge within your heart that the God you and I serve, nothing is impossible for that God. That's what Jesus wanted the disciples to learn that day, that in the kingdom of God, there is no supply chain issues. And you'll notice the reaction of the crowd. When they saw the sign, they immediately rose up and they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. He's more than a prophet. They wanted to make him king. But again, their motives were skewed. But there's a third category that this text speaks to. It speaks to the crowd, it speaks to the disciples, and it speaks to you. Because the point of making bread, the point of making bread out of nothing, really, if you think about it, is not dissimilar to God making manna. It's not dissimilar from that. To remind us that the Son of God has come into the world, not just to give us bread, but to be your bread. And since we're all sinners, and we do not deserve this bread, how will he give it to us? And again, I went all the way to the end of John 6, where Jesus says to the people, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give, I will give it for the life of the world. It is my flesh. And of course, the people were outraged. Jesus gave his flesh on the cross. And when he gave his flesh on the cross, he became bread for the world. All nourishing, all satisfying for anyone who will believe Jesus didn't come to be an ever-ready bellhop for our to fill up our bellies. Jesus came to be the all-satisfying bread for our souls. Yes, he cares about our physical needs. Don't 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 misunderstand what I'm saying. He cares about our physical lives. But I want you to know Jesus cares 10 million more times about your eternal life. And I think that's what drove my mom's mission. Do you know Jesus? Because you see, the day of resurrection is coming when he will give us bodies like his glorious body. And in Revelation 21, we read the words that on on that day, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is for you. Jesus' mission is for us today. I don't have much longer here at First Pres as your pastor, but I want to remind you of something that I've always said and you don't have to agree with me, but maybe one day God will open your eyes and you will say, you know what, that Jamaican pastor was right. I'm gonna say it again, friends, that the church's biggest problems today are not rooted in membership. The church's biggest problems today are not rooted in attendance deficits. The problems we're facing isn't a problem of giving or volunteering. What the church's biggest problem is we're still figuring out what it means to develop a culture for discipleship. Who is a disciple? Let me remind you again what I said weeks and weeks ago. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus. A disciple is someone who is being changed by Jesus a disciple is someone who is on a mission with Jesus. Not just one piece, put all three together. Am I following him? Am I being changed by him? I am, on, am I on a mission with him? And that's what Jesus has been doing from the day. He came out of the waters of baptism as he walked along the Sea of Galilee. He was looking for apprentices. He wasn't waiting for them to come to him. He went to them. He wanted to teach them so that they would do what he did. And at the end of John's gospel, again, we read these beautiful words. John 20, 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me so I send you, and the challenges that are in front of us today are here to test us, just like the Israelites in the desert. We are on a journey. We are going through some dry times as a culture, and the question that God puts before the children of Israel and us is that, do we have the faith to believe That God can provide for us, God can sustain us in a barren desert. That is the question. The question we must continue to ask of ourselves is, do we trust that God is able to set a table before us in the presence of our enemies? That's the question of the day. The disciples were pressure tested They looked at the scope of the problem. They looked at the obstacles. And in their feeble minds, their solutions were not enough. Are you convinced this morning that God will give us everything we need? If he puts us on a mission, do you believe that God will give us everything we need to accomplish that mission? And I was hoping I'd hear a little amen. And I'm grateful for my heritage as a young Christian growing up in Jamaica because my little Chinese pastor always talked, always reminded us that our relationship with Christ brings about what he calls, actually he uses a word that I struggle to use. He calls it deification. And when I was in seminary, I realized that the The Greek Orthodox Church is really big on that, and I don't know if my pastor was influenced by that, but he really believed that when we are in union with Christ, we experience what he calls deification. I like to call it divine transformation. Not that we become God, no, but our lives are transformed by God's power. We're transformed into the likeness and the image of Christ. Why? So that we can continue the mission. And I'm reading through Genesis right now. And the mandate that God gave to the man and the woman and the mandate that God gave to Noah, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And we are on that mission until the day when the heavens and the earth are one. I'm glad my pastor taught me that because I believe that with all my heart. That God didn't call me to be a pastor and just to have a cushy job and to settle down till I retire. I'm not ready to retire, friends. God didn't call you to come and sit in this beautiful space and sing these beautiful songs and then go home and just kind of live your Monday to Saturday life. God has called you on a mission, brothers and sisters. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. He's calling you. He's calling you. And the mission, let me just let me just close with this. The mission involves people and their need for the bread of life. The mission is always greater than what we possess. Yeah, we have an endowment. Yeah, we have a great building, but the mission God has called us to this is like a drip in the ocean. And God wants to do more than what we think we have. It's greater. God wants us to remember this morning that he's going to supply whatever is needed for the mission. God wants us to know this morning that he is going to test us and that's why we're going to have problems and that's how we learn to pray and that's how we we, we get to see miracles. F.B. Meyer says, "We never test the resources of God until we attempt the impossible." Faith like a muscle grows by stretching if you're on a mission you're going to be stretched and tested god uses the little that we have so that god might receive the glory in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit